1: Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.
0: Hello and welcome to The Reset, a mental health podcast without all the bollocks. I'm Sam Delaney. My guest this week is the psychodynamic counsellor, David Chichi. I worked with David years ago in TV and we got along really well, thanks largely to our shared love of football and getting pissed. We've both changed since then. Recently, I caught up with him and discovered that he'd left his wild TV days behind him and was a busy and successful counsellor. I was really pleased to catch up properly with David and learn more about how and why he changed his life so profoundly. I hope you enjoy listening to our chat. David Chidgy, welcome to The Reset. Sam, 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 how lovely to see you really great to see you mate it's been a few years yeah. delighted delighted to be back in touch and it's uh, it's great because i can't even remember what we were in touch about but in just in the course of us chatting recently you mentioned almost casually that you now had your own counseling psychotherapy um practice and i was amazed and impressed but it showed me how long we'd been out of touch because i know that takes several years of training and i had no idea you'd even been in training so it is it is great and to be honest i'm just fascinated by your journey because when we met we worked together both in the media you know you're you're a producer um
2: so what's been happening i suppose is my first question chigi well, I could say the same about you because I think yeah. that was the bizarre thing in our chat wasn't it how 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 much of a parallel there is to our our two little journeys, which no doubt we'll also talk about but yeah, I mean I was I mean we worked funny enough, you know, because it's the world Cup isn't it yeah you know in effect, it started today with England walloping Iran six two we're, we're recording
0: but, so, this we're recording this listen just off the back yeah. of finishing that
2: game We should, so we're still quite feeling. we're sort of buzzing. We're buzzing. I'm I'm celebrating with a cappuccino. That just shows you how times have changed. Yeah. (laughs) But no, because we we did that, I have to call it, seminal, seminal series, um, Berlin or bust. back in 2006, where Sam and I had to watch every, I mean, it was a terrible job that we got paid lots of money to do, but we had (laughs) to watch every single World Cup game With our heroes, like uh, Graham Lasso and Les Ferdinand and And Ray Wilkins. The late, great Ray Wilkins. It was a terrible job. It was so hard, Sam,
0: wasn't it? it, I mean, honestly, that was when we met and we became good mates. But it really was one of the best jobs, I think, I mean, it's certainly one of the best jobs I've ever had, and I've had some decent jobs, but that's yeah. that one took the piss. When I got the call about that one, and it was just... And, uh, yeah, we just had to watch it, and it wasn't even going out on proper
2: telly. It was no. going out... It was the early days of making shows for mobile yeah. phone. Went out on a mobile phone. Your agent played really hardball about it, you know? Yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking, if I could talk to Sam directly, it would say, mate, I'll do it for free. Yeah, you know? but... It was but, great fun. Football's great, but... So I well, running. I mean, in a sense, <laughs> that, yeah, exactly. I mean, that, you know, that's where we met. That's that's we worked together, and you know, I I I was having quite a good run as a as a freelance producer director in TV, and I kind of carried that on. Really, made a few more programs. You worked on a few of them with me, as I recall, and uh, I ended up uh, kind of running, part owning a, a production company, which was uh, great fun. Trying to do the same kind of stuff, really. And anyway, we ha- we made lots of money. We made some stupid investment decisions. And cutting a very long story short, it went massively Pete Tong uh, in the about this time of the year, actually in 2011. And about a month or two later. We, we literally ran out of the building, locked the doors and hid because <laughs> uh, we went we went down owing half a million which is a lot of money yeah, you yeah. know and i I personally lost 50 grand which I could not afford to lose and I was sick absolutely sick of the television industry by this time mm. um, and I thought well I, I' I'm done you know I've done 20 25 years of this I'm done. So I kind of thought, well, what am I going to do now? Now, at the same time, I say about the same time, so this is like spring 2012. Mm. My mother-in-law uh, basically gets diagnosed with terminal cancer and I'm not working, you know, so I've got no money. I've lost 50 grand. I'm not working. And uh, basically I thought, well, what am I going to do? So I thought, okay, well, I'll go home. I, we have a house in Winchester, as you know. As we, we, we had this flat up in, in London And I said to my wife, look, you know, I'm not earning any money. You're doing all right. You're working in the city. I'll go home and I'll look after your mum. And I have to say, mate, that's a pretty shitty thing to say to your wife. You know, she would have rather have given up work and come and looked after her Mm mum. But we we really didn't have any option. So I came here to do that. And over the next kind of year, you know, I kind of fannied about another couple of freelance projects. I actually exec produced a film on cricket, believe it or not, in this kind of year. Right. Which, which was really successful, but I hated every minute of it because <laughs> I was just so sick of TV and stuff. But anyway, along the, along the line, um, I, I really had to think about what I might do. And it, in all honesty, I cannot remember how I decided I was going to be a counsellor. It was just one of those things that I thought, oh, this this might be interesting, I thought to myself. And I'd had a bit of therapy in the past. I mean, funnily enough, talking about Berlin or bust. I mean, at the time, I mean, God, I was I was having an affair and I got caught and I ended up – actually, it wasn't during bone or bust. It was that other thing I did for, for Zigzag. But, mm-hmm. you know, I got caught and ended up having two doses of therapy. So I had to do relationship counselling in the evening and I was seeing a therapist in the morning and then doing like a mental day at Zigzag doing the the, the – the most, the least resourced program I'd ever had to do. I don't know how I did it. Um, But anyway, we got back together, thankfully. And uh, anyway, I had a good experience with therapy, basically. I thought, you know, even though I wasn't in a frame of mind to do it, even though I hated it at the time, something must have lodged in there that actually, A, I'm a bit fucked up, and B, actually, this is quite a good solution. So anyway, I did did a training course locally down in Southampton I did a certificate or a foundation course in psychodynamic counselling and it blew me away. It was it was amazing to do it. I mean, you know, from, from so many different angles, from the people that were involved, from what you learn about yourself, uh, also from the academic point of view as well, because, you know, I, I, I'd been to university and got a degree, but pretty much hated it and didn't find it very interesting. And suddenly I found myself studying you know, all the great psychoanalysts like Freud and Klein and Beyond and so on and so forth, and really heavy-going, weighty you know, papers. I mean, mm. I, I, I like to think I'm quite a bright bloke, but I was having to read these things two, three, four times before I could actually begin to understand what they were all about. And I loved it. I, I suddenly found my brain came back to life, yeah. uh, having laid dormant through making TV for 25 years. Mm. Take of that what you will. Um, So I did the certificate, passed it, really, really loved it, uh, and then went straight on to do the diploma. And again, absolutely loved that. And I qualified uh, at the end of 2016, and the place that I was doing it at uh, shut down. So uh, I already had uh, some clients from, from training because you have to do 150 client hours in order to qualify. And I thought, well, you know, look, I'm in my 50s. I don't need to go and get a proper job here. I've, I've worked for myself my entire life, most of it. Uh, I'm I'm quite happy just making that leap and going into private practice. And, and anyway, I felt I, you know, I had a duty to the two or three clients that I had from training to carry them on. So I just literally qualified one day and set up in a private practice the next day. Wow! And uh, you know, nearly six, seven years later. Um, it's it's just gone – well, I, I hesitate to say it's gone mad, Sam, but it has. <laughs> Twenty. I mean, I'm, I, I see about 20 clients a week, which is about the maximum you can do as a psychodynamic counsellor. Right. Wow. And I've had some clients for six, seven years. It's open-ended counselling. So the, the kind of stuff that I do is probably the closest uh, of the talking therapies to psychoanalysis. It's very mm-hmm. much rooted in the big psychoanalytic thinkers like Freud, as I was saying. But it is counselling. I'm not there to, you know, psychoanalyse anybody. I'm there to be, you know, somebody that they can talk to without any judgment in a, in a really safe space and just really listen to people. And actually, the difference is hear them. And mm. I think that's an incredibly powerful thing. When, you, when you're in a room with somebody and, 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 and they hear you because what, what's happening is they're hearing you emotionally. And that happens so rarely, I think, when we're out in the big wide world, where basically listening is just a pause between you getting your chance to say what you want to say, a bit like a podcast, really, you know. <laughs> but yeah, so um, it's it's been very successful, and I think the most important thing. I mean, I, I often say this, Sam, about about the journey when I when I reflect back on it. You know, I think in in, in TV, I spent twenty five years indulging in my ego. And now I, I can put that away and deal with other people's egos. And I have to say, I prefer it that way round. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you sound
0: you sound like it's really, I mean, just listening to you sounds really kind of inspiring, mate. And there's something, like I say, I haven't seen you for a few years and there's just something in your voice. I can hear you feel looser, happier, um, and, and more fulfilled. Is that is
2: that fair to say? Well, I, I, it is, you know. I think it is, and I think that last point I made is, 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 is bang on. You know, I mean, you, you and I know the media industry very, very well. And I mean, to be frank, mate, I, I still dabble in it. I mean, I'm still mm. doing the podcasts and stuff. And up till the summer, I was doing a weekly column for Football. London, so I still dabbled in it. Mm. And actually, I'm glad I do because actually, it, it, it provides a really lovely balance to what I'm doing. I, yeah, I, and that's driven by your passion because you have a passion for football yeah, yeah. and that's like really more than a career
0: thing. That's to do with yeah. your passion for football and and for Chelsea in particular.
2: Yeah, which for which you need an awful lot of therapy obviously. Uh, yeah. You know, but yeah, I mean I still dabble in it, but but the, the reality is as I said it was all about my ego and I, and I think I, I know as well because you know like you I mean you know you have to have therapy when you when you train to be a, a counselor mm. and uh, you know as I said I was what in my I was almost 50 when I started training. So I started going to therapy and I think it very quickly became apparent that the older you are the more therapy you need because you've just got so much more baggage. Because it's built up, yeah. It has, you know. And and I see that actually with clients who are of a similar age. You know, there's an awful lot to unpick, and a lot mm. of your a lot of your patterns of behavior have become way more entrenched. A lot of your defensive structures are way more rigid. And I think it can take quite a bit of time to work all of those out. So I made a decision to carry on with my therapy when I didn't have to. Mm. And I'm still in therapy now, so that's got to be seven getting on for eight years now. And and it works beautifully. It works very symbiotically with my client work. And we have to have clinical supervision, which in a sense, you know, supervision uh, protects your clients from your unconscious and your own therapy protects uh, you from your clients unconscious, if you see what I mean. So any kind of weird stuff, they're communicating to me unconsciously and making me behave in a maladaptive way gets ironed out in my therapy but other than that the personal aspect of my therapy is that it means that i get to know myself really 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 well you know warts and all and rather than defending against all of those things that happened to me in my childhood and and life and act and acting out literally Mm. Um, I can be more comfortable and okay with it. And in a way, I could say that, you know, my career in film and TV was one massive acting out for 20 years.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that. I mean, sometimes, I suppose, it doesn't matter what industry you work in, everyone can act out. But I think the media certainly gives you an easy platform if you have that sort of in you to kind of indulge perhaps your your worst instincts. Yeah. Um, uh, I certainly think that reflecting on moments in my career is that they, I wouldn't blame the media industry for making me do the things I did, but I certainly think it sort of facilitated it in quite a seamless way, you know, because uh, so, of course, not everyone has, has the baggage that maybe lead us down those paths, do they? And there are plenty of people, as as you do, I'm sure, who are working in the media and are perfectly well balanced and emotionally stable and don't fall into bad habits with drinking drugs or whatever else it is um, but some of us if we've got that inside of us it's gonna it, it certainly makes it easy um, uh, so what you know what have you got when you went to therapy um, you know uh, is it sort of every, is it a broad thing that you, you dealt with did you have
2: to address drinking or anything like that well I'll, I'll, I'll talk about the drinking in a minute because you'll remember that but um i was in a really weird position because you remember when i when i went i mean and this became an issue actually but mm-hmm. when I, when i went to therapy when i was training um there was a sense to me that well i'm i'm having to go to therapy because i have to do it for my training i yeah, don't yeah. really have to be in therapy i'm okay there's nothing wrong with me gov
0: yeah. And, and prior to that as well, when you mentioned about going to couples therapy and stuff, you sort yeah. of indicated that you, you well, were I was, a bit reluctant then. Was that sort of like a deal breaker with your missus? Is that what led you into it that time?
2: Mate, I was I was caught with my hand in the cookie jar fairly and squarely. And, and
0: so th- you had to basically, if you wanted to maintain a relationship, you had yeah. to agree to therapy. Right.
1: Yeah,
2: And I was just in so much guilt and pain and... I mean, there's nothing. I mean, God, everybody can remember this when they're a kid and they've done something naughty and they get caught by their parents or the teacher. Mm. Um, if you've been brought up a certain way, then the the the, the you know the, the self punishment is massive, and I I felt very much like that. So she could have said, you know, go and be a West Ham season ticket holder, and I'd have said yes. You know. <laughs> so uh, yeah. you know, yeah. So but but I was made to go. That's so the all of
0: your experiences up to a certain point were basically. Against your will, more or less. Yeah, basically.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, but I, I mean, when I went to therapy then, it was, you know, that was in crisis. It was very interesting, actually, because I went to see a really good bloke, actually, and um, I was in a mess and he didn't really know what to do. And he said, Mate, he said, There's so many things we could work on here, but I think we should really just focus on one. And the one thing he picked out on, which I think, in on reflection, is, is fascinating, but he uh, we we agreed to work on my anger, right? You know, because he'd really picked up on that, you know, and and when we did some really good work on that, but uh, I've subsequently done much more and better work on it. But you know, that was all kind of crisis management, really. But when I went went into therapy as a result of the training, it was the same kind of deal. It was like, well, the only reason I'm going there is because I'm being told to and I have to, and and I'm fine, you know. Mm-hmm. Seven years later, I'll, I, I can tell you that is absolutely not the case. And I was so completely not fine. Mm. And the more that I I dig into it, and that's the great thing, when you've been in a long-term relationship with your therapist, and as I said, you know, seven, eight years is is a pretty good chunk of work, uh, the deeper you get because you end up trusting that therapist a lot more because there's there's two issues with this, you know, we, we all as therapists sit there first session. And you'll know this. You'll probably remember this from your, your time at it. Um, you know, it's all about trust. It's all about confidentiality. It's all about creating a non-jud- non-judgmental safe space. And most people go, yeah, 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 I get that. Yeah, Mate, I trust you. You don't trust us at all. <laughs> yeah. Certainly, Certainly not unconsciously. And that's the problem. You know, you've got to get unconscious trust. And that takes a lot of time to build up. Yeah. And you have to go through the pain. And I think, you know, one of the things I often say to the clients that I have, you know, you get moments in a session with people where it's it's awful. It's utterly awful. They're falling to pieces. And, I mean, you know, it's in, you wouldn't be human if you, if you weren't feeling that deeply. But you've got to, like, you know, my clients basically pay, pay me to bear their pain mm-hmm. so that I can show them that it is bearable because in that moment they often think that it's not bearable at all and they want to run away or they want to defend against it or they want to you know just like whatever you know i mean it, it's it's horrible but it's important that's in a way what we do we're there to bear people's pain and show them how to do it and the deeper you get into a relationship with a therapist the more able you are to do that i think i was uh,
0: it's interesting that idea of empathy and and i sort of of only just getting to grips as you know I'm doing a bit of learning about this myself. And mm. when we were talking about empathy in the class I was in the other day, I was like, well, that's quite scary because I never understood empathy to mean that you take on board the other person's pain. I thought you could I thought it meant you could relate to it. And I thought, well, how do therapists cope if it's almost part of your job to actually takes feel it? Is that Am I right in saying that you almost have to feel it yourself? Yeah. And if
2: so, isn't that quite risky for you at times? Yeah, absolutely. But that's why you have good, good clinical supervision. Mm. And that's why you have good friends. And that's why I'm lucky that I have a very good therapist. Hi, I'm Daniel,
0: founder of Pretty Litter.
2: Purpose. I mean and, and you know, look, we we all every single counsellor will approach the job. Okay, we 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 have modalities that we work to, we have an ethical framework that we work to, obviously. But ultimately, one of the things that I learned hope, gladly quite quickly, because I have a certain personality type, as you well know, Sam. I mean, I, I, I like talking, who knew? Mm. Um, I've got quite a big ego. Um, I can, I like a joke, you know, there are, there are many things about me, which would, you wouldn't have thought would uh, lend itself particularly well to being particularly a psychodynamic counselor. But I I learned very quickly that actually, I think the best way for me to do this is to be as authentic as I possibly can. And I think having had a lot of therapies also helped me with that as well. So I won't be, uh, I'm not. I'm not the. I mean, you know, I I respect the boundaries that one has to put in place, obviously. And if something goes on a, that's a bit weird in a session, then I will always make sure that I question that and and bring it up. You know, not the, you don't hide anything. But uh, you know, I will, I will, I will have a joke with a client occasionally. You know, mm. I will be human, but. It's it's difficult because we're all a certain kind of person and we'll all defend things in a certain way. And you know, just because you've had a lot of therapy doesn't mean that you've eradicated all of these things from your from your psyche. So you have to be very careful. I I find I have to be very careful not to shut down, actually, not to just compartmentalize and just just like become quite sociopathic, actually, in a funny sort of a way. But on the other hand, I can't, I'm no use to my clients if if they're in tears, that, that I start blubbing, or mm. more to the point, and this is actually more important, that when they're really, really, really hurting, I don't do what is the most human thing in the world. Unless you are a sociopath, which is to run across the, the room and give them a massive hug, yeah. or try and sort it out for them, or say take control and say, "No, no, okay, now stop feeling like that. I'm going to do all this for you know." Yeah, that is not therapy. In fact, that's counterproductive. You you help them work through it by sitting there and saying, Yeah, this is absolute shit, isn't it? Mm. Let's think about that. Let's sit with that. Mm. You know, but by but that is me bearing it. All right. Yeah. If I wasn't bearing it. I would run over there and give them a hug and try, try and, and fix You try and yeah. fix it. Yeah. That's really and, interesting. And That's what everybody does. And I mean, you know, nice people, your mates, for example, yeah. we'll sit there and give you a bit of advice and say, come on, mate, just have a hug. We'll be all right. We'll sort it out. Yeah. That's what everybody does. And they do it because they can't bear the pain.
0: Yes. Or it totally. reminds
2: them of their own pain. Yeah. I've done that. Like,
0: I mean, I've, I've, you know, with people close to me over the years, I've heard their problem, and it scared me so much. But almost, if I'm honest, it's like make me feel. If it's someone very close to me, I sort of think I can't take them being in this position because it'll end up hurting me to see them in this position. Yeah, and I've and I've gone. I've become so absorbed in their situation and devoted so much of my own energy to trying to help them fix that situation that I've dragged myself under as, as deeply as that as they were. Do you know what I mean? I've learned a lot of hard lessons from that. That's been one of the like the, the setting boundaries is one of the biggest things that it took me quite a few years of therapy to get my head around. I mean, I was alerted to the to that quite early in therapy, but I didn't actually understand and act upon it. Start to act upon it for a good few years. Yeah, and now who knows? I don't know the next time something like that happens, but I feel as if I'm I'm better at it. Because, uh, but the way you've just explained it makes a huge amount of sense to me. Because I think it wasn't entirely like, oh, I'm a selfless person; I want to help everyone. It was more like, if it's someone very close to you, yeah. you sort of think, I can't, I'm not going to be able to handle this if they if they get dragged under. So I'm going to have to. So in a way, it's sort of quite selfish in some yeah. ways absolutely uh, but it's really interesting to hear what you say because certainly my experiences of therapy uh, the the best experiences the best moments have always been things like that where no one's tried to take away the pain people have made me yes yeah, sit with it but then guide me in a direction whereby i'm more more able to cope and and that's a good example really i used to uh, develop codependencies with people and it has dragged me under. And now yeah. I see that happening or I can see the potential for it happening and, and I have strict boundaries. So I guess what I'm saying to our listeners is the stuff that Gigi's saying, it, it certainly has worked for me. Mm. But I want to go back to what you said about the older people get. I started therapy at 40 and I'm now 47. And a day doesn't go by without me thinking, fuck me, I wish I'd done this 20 years earlier. It would have avoided me, avoided a lot of pain and suffering. Yeah. Uh, Someone once said to me that, um, you know, the day, the age at which you start drinking, taking drugs and all the rest of it, to some extent, that's the day that you stop emotionally maturing. And I certainly felt that that was the case with me because I'd sort of found a way in my early adolescence, I'd found drinking drugs to be a, a useful way of avoiding extreme emotion. Not just sadness, actually, but joy, too. I often think with football, when you're buzzing off a big win at football, the reason you go to your mates, let's go out and get pissed, is that you act, I, I think, and as a Chelsea fan, you've probably had a few more big, exciting moments than I've had as a West Ham fan, to be fair. But you know how you can't cope with that? I think that's why I used to get so pissed at football because whatever the emotion was, you're either gutted or occasionally happy. But whatever it was, I couldn't quite sit with good or bad emotion sort of thing. And yeah. I, when I when I got to 40 and started investigating this stuff, it was just like, yeah, there was just so much shit because it went back for years and years and years and years, little bits and bobs all over the place that needed untangling. And it's, um, it's such a shame, really, because until – desperation of addiction led me down that path i would have just thought therapy you must be joking and i only got to it like you got to it sort of out of desperation in as Mm -hmm. much as you were in a situation where you kind of had to against your will and i was kind of the same i mean i didn't willingly go into therapy i made the appointment myself but i didn't really fancy it It was this final throw of the dice because i couldn't stop doing gear and getting pissed every day do you know what I mean? And and so it's sort of like a, a desperation. And I just hope that I, I would wish that my kids, for instance, you know, grow up thinking let's not wait until things become absolutely disastrous before we start reflecting on this stuff. Do you feel as if, you know, you've been doing this for seven, eight years? Do you feel as if things are changing, though, in terms of people's attitudes towards therapy and more people are seeing it as like a bit of just personal maintenance. Like I compare it sometimes to go into the hygienist for your teeth. <laughs>
2: it's like, this is shit you just got to do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I hope, I hope so. I mean, I mean, what I could tell you is that, <laughs> you know, I, I have, I, I think I have quite a niche in, in there aren't many male counselors. I should, should stress. Oh, okay. we're, we're, we're hugely outnumbered by women. Right. Um, and I'm not sure why, really. I mean, mm. it could. I mean, you're not going to get rich being a counsellor. That could be one reason. Right. Um. There's the whole, you know, empathy thing. I suppose most people think that that women are a bit more emotionally tuned in, which may mm. be the case. I, I don't know is the honest answer to that. Um. But uh, yeah, I seem to have a niche in, in what I call grumpy old men. Mm. I, I mean, you know, a lot of therapists don't put their picture i mean it's not the kind of thing you advertise you know we you, you don't, don't go around selling it and saying mate i can do you a really good deal on some therapy next week you know <laughs> yeah I'll get your nuts sorted no yeah. problem six sessions Two for the price thanks. of one you know yeah. and i'll burn a few beers you know <laughs> can't do that so the really the only way of, of, of marketing yourself really is um a lot of the professional organizations all have directories yeah and, uh Many psychodynamic therapists, which as I said, they're slightly different from the other type of modalities because it's all about uh the other person's unconscious and our and our unconscious relationship with them. So we need them to be we are quite blank screen. That's the idea. Right. So a lot of them don't put a photograph up, but you can't you can't teach this old dog, you know, new tricks. So I uh, no, I've got my I've I'm gonna have a photograph of myself up there. Of course I am, mm. you know. Mm. But as a result, people have thought, oh, he looks like a right grumpy old bastard. He'll suit me. Mm. Yeah. So, so I seem to have this niche in, in older men <laughs> who are the least likely to go and find help, actually. I bet. Yeah. So that is, I think, brilliant. And and most of the clients that I've had you know, who fit that demographic have I've had very wonderful relationships with, and they really totally bought into it and understood the benefit at the same time i i until until i got really really busy and just couldn't do it anymore i was doing like a day's voluntary work at a local youth counseling center Mm. charitable place and i was seeing kids from the age of 16 to 25 and i absolutely loved all of that work um because i still even though i was in my 50s I I could be taken back to what it was like to be that age, like that. I really identified with them. It's also, as I now know, where a lot of my trouble started. Mm. So I, I, I recognized a lot of the problems that they had in myself. So I could really relate to them that way. But of course, the other thing is they're they're vulnerable, but they're they're more open minded. You know, a lot of their defensive structures haven't utterly taken root. Yeah. So that you you can you get them a bit younger, you know, and you can slightly nudge them towards a, a, a different path perhaps. So when you get to get somebody in their 50s and older, it's, it's you know, it takes a lot longer to do that. And actually the reality is, and I've learned this myself, so, you know, I've had seven years of therapy. I am not cured. You know, mm. I don't do stupid. You know, it's not like I don't do stupid things anymore. It's, don't, it's not like I get, you know, taken down the wrong path. I do all the time. What the difference is, I accept it now. It's part of who I am, you know. Mm. I am mm. going to make stupid decisions occasionally. I'm going to do things that I'm going to make myself feel really guilty about. I'm going to piss people off. I'm going to do all of these things, but I'm not going to sit there and beat myself up about it and then act out as a response. Yeah. I'm going to sit back and go, that was stupid, you idiot. Okay, let's do better next time, you yeah, know. Yeah. And and I think that's the difference. But I recognize that my defenses are very, very deeply rooted you know, and I think, I think a lot of that process is discovering what they are, why they're there and, and become quite accepting and forgiving of yourself. You know, if you, you know, there are things you just can't change. It's really, really difficult to, I think. And there are things that you can. Bottom line is, you know, we're talking about, you know, our relationships with people, I suppose, in a way. And we were talking about, you know, that, that, that need to fix people. Mm. Um you cannot control other people or or or, or anything externally to a degree mm-hmm. the only thing you've got a remote chance of controlling is is yourself you know what you do the choices you make and and how you think and feel about things to a degree so focus on that you know you can't you can't be dealing with trying to change other people but you can mm-hmm. kind of focus on yourself a bit and I, I suppose that's what I've learned but yeah thing is it's a lifelong journey mate it is. That's the reality. This Therapy's just a step on that, that road. You know, a lot of it, you're not, a lot of that work you kind of have to do yourself as well, I think.
0: You're right, but I think it's fantastic people like you, you know, being able to sort of point us in the right direction, give us the sort of tools we need. And, you know, one of the reasons I was just so delighted when you told me that this is what you were doing now is that you're a great communicator and I think that that's a lot of what this comes down to. So many, you know, we know the, the reset's aimed mainly at men because we know that men find it more difficult, generally speaking, to open up. And I'm of the opinion that partly it's because the vocabulary and the, the way that these issues are discussed often just don't necessarily relate to the sort of, especially the sort of blokes that... That we have always been surrounded by, and that we were—you, Jack, the lads, yeah—you you, know—that we all know—and and, and but the football and all the rest of it. It's you know, it's all about bravado yeah. and pride, and it's very hard to relate to some of the sort of mental health dialogue that's out there. So when I heard that you were doing it, I just thought this is wonderful because it's a much-needed different sort of voice in that in that world, and. The stuff you said today, mate, is absolutely amazing. It's made a difference to me. I feel like I've got part of, it, partly a, a bit of a free session. So um, yes, I'll be maybe sending I, you, an I owe
2: you an orange juice. I'll be sending an invoice later, Sam. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I mean, you're, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, and I, I think it is it it, it is it's very difficult. Look, I mean, you know, I don't want to get into the whole toxic masculinity thing, but you know, there is there is an issue with men of a certain age. I think I think the pressures of modern life. Are incredibly difficult. Um, you know, you're, you're, I'm not a dad like you, but I mean, the pressures that come with that as well, and the expectations that come with that as mm-hmm. well, I think, are very hard. You know, that we have to succeed, we have to make money, we have to provide for people, we have to be these these certain kind of roles, and all the rest of it. There's a lot of shit that we all have to deal with, and there are very few avenues where you can share that and of course the other problem with that i think is a huge amount of shame you know i think shame yeah. is 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 a massively important uh issue in 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 therapy you know and and that and that's something that we ha- uh, many of us have to come to terms with but there is no shame in seeking help if you're if your leg is broken you go to the doctor you know if if you're in a mess mentally and you don't know what to do and you're struggling go and get help and the key to that is talking to people and the reality is if you're in absolute crisis yeah samaritans gp you name it friends the number of you know pick up the phone to somebody don't suffer in silence man Mm -hmm. and then get some decent help go and see a a therapist and and talk to them because what you will get is somebody who is not going to shame you not going to judge you and they'll just allow you that space To get all this rubbish out. I mean, I've got a I've got this, I'll share this with you because it 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 cracked me up when I heard it. This is in a I'm in a kind of a study group and a a friend, a colleague and friend of mine said that yeah, there's basically there's two two types of client really, aren't there? Those that come in to have a dump and those that come in because they're on the tit. And basically And basically, they're absolutely right because that's that's what we facilitate. You know, we allow you to get all of your shit out and you dump it on us and we mm. take care of it for you. And you mm. don't have to worry about the effect that it's going to have on us mm. because we're trained to deal with that. Yeah. And the other one is, of course, other people will literally suck you dry because they need love. They need yeah. to be heard. They need to be listened to. They need some compassion. And that that's also what we do, you know, because... I mean you can't do this job if you're a sociopath. You got to love people a lot to mm. do this job, you know. Mm. So we offer that too. Yeah, love and kindness is a phrase
0: that uh, someone used to me once about, you know, addicts when they're, they're when they're just awful and your behavior's been shit and you just hate yourself. Um you don't you sort of feel that the world's against you. Mm. Often it is, and rightly so because you've been acting such an arsehole. Yeah, and yet when someone is prepared to show you love and kindness in response to your situation rather than condemnation and judgment it's a fucking powerful thing i know that from personal experience so um i think it's you know people who, who do what you do are just amazing and we're lucky to have you all chidge it's been wonderful to to catch up with you mate and um
2: thank you so much um you're you're a hero No, mate, I don't know about that, but uh, I'll take it. Uh, (laughs) Mate, it's lovely to see you. I mean, in in the old days, we'd be saying, mate, 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 I must catch up for a beer. we up for a beer. The next Chelsea West Ham game, but of course, this is. Well, I would like
0: to see it next Chelsea West Ham
2: game. Uh, Either,
0: oh, we've already played you at the bridge, haven't we? Because you beat us. Um, But maybe if you come over to London
2: Stadium. I might well do that. They
0: they do serve Heineken Zero at the London Stadium. Well, you
2: know, the funny thing is. You know, because I'm based in Winchester, you know, permanently, really. I've even got rid of the flat, so I don't even have a base in London anymore. Invariably, I end up driving to the match. Lovely. So I only, you know, I only have a couple of beers, you know. If yeah. I- so I paddle quite lightly. So it's not like it. You know, I can't remember the last time I got properly shit faced at the football. That's to, that's to be fair. You know,
0: Yeah. probably yeah. a good
2: thing because that would mean I'd have to get a train home and I'd end up in Bournemouth or something. Rather than just... <laughs> yeah,
0: we've all been there. We've all Times been... well and truly have changed for both of us, mate, I and I think we're both the better for it. Yeah, lovely. Well, great to see you, and thanks for inviting me. There you go, David Chigi, a fascinating, smart and engaging bloke. He runs his private practice in Winchester and he's also a board member of the Chelsea Supporters Trust. And if you're of a Chelsea inclination, you can also hear him on the Chelsea Fancast pod. If you like The Reset, why not become a paid subscriber? For a fiver a month, you get bonus podcasts and other content every month, and you'll be able to keep The Reset up and running into the new year and beyond. You can sign up at sandelaney.substack.com, where you'll also find my pod archive and regular mental health newsletters. Until next time, gang, thanks for listening. Be lucky, and don't let the dickheads get you down.